Welcome to the Barrels and Business Podcast. I am your host, Jay Green, and this is the podcast for beach-loving, barrel-chasing business owners. In the next hour or so, I plan to give you as many tangible tips on how you can grow and build your kick-ass team, scale your business, and live the epic life of your dreams. So stay tuned while myself and my guests bring you all of the best. Welcome to this episode. As always, I will be your host, Jay Green. And my goal for this hour or so is to bring you a few laughs and jokes. As always, we like to have some fun, but most importantly, bring you some tangible tips and tools on how you can grow your business, scale, and do it with less stress and ease. But as always, we want to focus in on who you are as a leader and how you can stop hurting your cats, also known as staff, and be the ripple effect of the change we want to see in the world by building beautiful cultures. Today, I am stoked to be joined by Dr. Angela Laria. Now, mm. Dr. Angela, okay, we'll drop the doctor now. Okay. <laughs> I, I had to have her, I had to have her on the show because she is literally the only coach I've heard say fuck as much as me ever. <laughs> Where are we going to do that on this episode? Yes, we are. My people would be like, "What the fuck happened to them?" Uh, I, I, when you were doing uh, your session on the prize never chases, I was like, "She is my people," and that's the and that's when I instantly sent you uh, the podcast request. I'm like, I, "You, you, you get me. You're my people." And then when I realized that you had a book called make them beg to work for you I'm like that's my tagline bitch give it back I'm like I that's 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 what I use when I'm teaching how to hire heroes like no you can't have a book wait about that. have you ever said that before all the time and I was oh like my God, really? and there was people in the back channel of uh zoom going um is that where you got it from I'm like no now I feel like minuscule uh because she has a book and she's got five best-selling books and she lives in a castle and all of these things. And I'm like, what was my tagline? Uh, but what was, you wrote my now book. You don't have to write it. Maybe I okay, can save you some time. Can you just print another copy? Cause I know that you can do that and like, just whack my name on it. There's, it's, it's a white book. So we can just use white out and just put Jade oh, Green. Yeah. Liquid, liquid paper. Yes. Excellent. Fine. Um, what is great about this book though, as I, I was just saying to Angela before we went live, is that it's the first book that I've read cover to cover in one day in God knows how long. Listeners know that I'm listexic and they also know that I'm ADA as fuck. So that's, they're used to that. But more for me, it's carving the space and the time to be able to indulge in reading a book for that long. I'm sipping a rosé, obviously. Um, but I just, I was like, this this is like it literally could have been my handbook and it's so so rare for me to find someone who agrees on all of these principles and I was just like are, are we somehow connected what what's going on here the languaging so so familiar like I love ending dick centric business <laughs> Well, as fun as I wrote that book uh, at Richard Branson's house on <laughs> Necker Island, 
And uh, the chapter you're talking about is like ending dick-centric business practices, which, you know, Richard Branson sort of patented <laughs> many of them. But still, I, I've learned a lot about business from him. There's just a guys have led the way in so much of business for so long. And that's not bad. There's so much I've learned most, but not all, but most of my best bosses were men. And most of the books that I read about business were for men. I never took business classes. I took some communications classes, but I never really went to school for marketing or business, but probably if I did, most of my professors would have been men. Like that's yep. just who's there. And I think, I mean, I love, I love that we've reached a lot of the same conclusions on opposite sides of the world, having our <laughs> own experiences. Like it's so cool to have a soul sister out there. And I think so much of it is because there's great source information, mostly from guys who have done cool stuff. And then like the torch got passed to women like us who have had to find a new way, mm -hmm. taking some of that stuff, which was awesome. Like, I think processes are great. I think checklists are great. Like I, like I've learned, it's not like I learned nothing and we should throw out every single thing that's ever been invented in business. But then when you layer in women, I'll say smart women like us, into businesses at a high executive level, like not as the switchboard operator of the fifties, but we grew up at a time where we, I mean, I took on chief marketing officer roles. I know you had senior executive roles, like you were bringing in senior executives, many of whom were probably women. We've gotten to come up of age 20, 30, 40 years now like we're the ones who can take the baton and iterate and bring the divine feminine in. Well, what is and hilarious? What I think is it's the both and it's not either yeah. or it's not about not saying guys yeah. are wrong. When I say ending dick centric practices, it doesn't mean ending all men and let's all move to Lesboa and start our own all women <laughs> island. But it's like things are so so male centric and just it's masculine assumed. energy yeah it's, it's just even like in the water you don't even think about you don't even realize the structure of a meeting like there's so many things that you don't realize are based on the way things were done which in the industrial age as well were done. yeah just like yeah. So I think having podcasts like yours and books like mine and leadership programs like the ones you run, like that's so important because that's how we evolve the culture. It's not about getting rid of it. It's about building and growing into the next iteration. And we're a key part of that. And I'm proud to be a part of that. So. That is so good. It's really funny. We were talking just before we went live on uh, how, uh, how I was sharing a shared office space with Google at the beginning of my recruitment career. And that in that job, they actually, it was a small startup and they told me no 10 times. They said I couldn't have the job. And when I kept pushing, what it ultimately came down to, they said it was because I was a girl. I was like, what? And see, I'd grown up surfing. I uh, had my whole 
uh, school school uniform changed because I refused to wear the girls' school uniform because I played basketball and sport. And so I wore a boys' school uniform and like they wouldn't let me be school captain because I didn't wear the girls' school uniform. And then I took disputed it because in the rules of the school, it said you must wear a school uniform. It didn't say female had to wear a girls' school uniform with a hideous box pleat and boy. So I was like, so I got the whole uniform changed so that it was uh, girls could choose to wear a skirt or they could have the same fabric and shorts. And we had polo shirts and all of that. So, and I, I had a shaved head uh, because when I was surfing as a kid and we were poor, dad wouldn't buy me conditioner. So that just turned into a big dreadlock mess. So just shave the shit off. Like I right. just, this, this concept of boy girl didn't, it just didn't really resonate with me. Like I grew up with an ex. Not helpful. This is not no. helpful in my life. Yeah. And so I was like, what? what do you mean I'm a girl? I'm not a girl. What are you talking about? <laughs> and so I just said to them, like, uh, you have five minutes to draw me up a contract or I'm going to go and work across the road for the direct competitor. I'm going to steal all your clients and crush you or I'll be running you guys in two years. Your choice. And they, and that was on a voice mess on, a, on, the, um, on the Regis like answering phone. And, oh my God. Uh, I still remember Trudy came to work for me for a few, uh, a few years later. Um, she, she read, she's like, do you literally want me to pass that on to Scott? And I'm like, yes, I do. And then she rings back five minutes later. She goes, apparently you have a contract. Come on up. <laughs> and one year, 11 months, I was the general manager and then went and started another um, office for them. And we built the business from the four of us to 52 and we're on the fast 100 and blah, blah, blah. Um, but I thought that I had to be masculine. So I wore a pinstripe three-piece man suit like I mean like the the vest and the button-up colored shirt and I made all my bitches wear them too like I said to everybody we do not dress like the receptionists like because we get judged you walk into a boardroom full of guys wearing a spaghetti strap you know looking like what their receptionist does you you just and for me at that stage I was 25 and I'm all of five foot two and back then, probably 45 kilos ring and wet. So do you know what I mean? Like, I was like, no, there's like, you're not going to judge me on. So, and I said to all my girls, we wear what the boys wear. If the boys have to wear a full suit and tie, we wear full suits. Like, that's it. But then I got really into the masculine energy. And I was like, pretty cutthroat. I even then I started playing football again. Then I started a foot. We don't have, didn't have American football for women in Australia, Angela. So I created a league so that I could be a running back. And that really fed. Wait, like the, gridiron or like all yes. the rules? Or? No, like, like gridiron, like a proper running back. Okay. Because mm-hmm. mm. they said we couldn't, so I did. Um, okay. Yeah, gridiron Australia was like, girls aren't playing gridiron. We're like, yeah, we are. Um, they end up buying the league off of us um, wow. in the end. But I had to step away from it because I realized doing that sort of, you know what American football is like. It's like, get over someone on a, on the bottom of a pack and you're like, yeah, eat a dick. <laughs> like, and the coach is like encouraging you to scream at people. That masculine energy was coming across to my business. And I had to look at how all of that also played into the leader that I was being. And then, and, and all of my, my mentors were, masculine like and everything was masculine and I was like something's not working for me (laughs) how do we yeah well here's what I think happens there and this was one of my huge lessons in leadership is when it's just you like if it was 
more of a solo sport, let's say you were running instead of doing football, there's, uh, you can push yourself harder and harder. You can work more and more hours. You can get up earlier. You can go to bed later. All that masculine energy of like putting your own efforts out. And this is true of running a business too. Like you can create more lead magnets. You can write more copy. You can do more sales calls until you can't. At some point you hit a wall where you have to learn how to receive. Yeah. And that's where the feminine comes in. It's like you can only do and act and push and force so much. And I think so much of hiring a team and managing a team and leadership, what we see out there, like even if you think about the model of coaching a football team, you imagine the coach like yelling at the team, like picking the guys, spotting the talent, and then yelling at them, like (laughs) train harder, work harder, go harder, push yourself harder. Don't catch the ball with your teeth. Like, right. Yes. And we imagine (laughs) that's the only way, but there's only so many hours to work out. There's only so many hours that you can, the act of training your team, let's say your team is going to make widgets. You have to, first of all, create the process for making the widgets. Then you got to write up your SOPs. Then you got to make your training videos. Then you got to find and recruit your people. Then you got to train them on your SOPs. Then you have to enforce the SOPs. Then you have to have a process for retraining them when they mess up. All of that masculine stuff is great. All the, uh, what was that? Entrepreneur, uh, EOS, whatever. Yeah. Like all that stuff. Great. We got it. Good. Dan, Dan, uh, not Dan Kennedy. Who's the other one? The, um, the coach guy who teaches that uh, like um Dan Sullivan yes right strategic <laughs> coach like we got it we got the plans we got the sheets we got the checklist we're gonna build the SOP e-myth we're gonna teach them yeah I live the e-myth that was my first business book <laughs> great I love it at some point there's only so many hours to write SOPs there's only so many hours to make videos there's only so many hours to train them there, there's only so many hours to force compliance. It's just like if you were running and you want to run faster, there's only so many hours to train. There's only so many calories you can cut back to. At some point to reach our next level of evolution, we have to bring the divine feminine in and we have to learn to receive. Yeah. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with the checklist. I'm not saying don't work out. I'm not saying don't create the videos. I'm not saying like all that masculine stuff is great. That got us to where we are. Mm. But then we're going to hit a wall because there's only 24 hours in the day. Well, this is like, it's the, the, the stereotypes yin and yang, right? But I do a lot of work. um, I think by, by nature of my swearing, uh yes. and my my okay. like I I am I do introduce myself uh as equal parts tomboy girly girl and entrepreneur and you'll often see me like <laughs> uh you know in a pretty in a pretty dress but riding my skateboard um 
and that can be confusing to women and they think it's inauthentic sometimes they don't understand but because I'm quite blunt and quite masculine it seems to attract the guys um and so I do a lot of work in like trade-based businesses and things like that and they they've started to realize that old school mentality of just tell them to do like I fucking pay them do the shit right right isn't working and they're starting to and and most of their mentors have been male as well and they're starting to realize maybe I'm missing something and because I think because also the younger generation are more uh I don't want to say they're not 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 in terms of like actual gender assignment, but more gender fluid in the energy. So they are more, they have more masculine energy and feminine energy. They are seeking more connection and the um, more of the emotional intelligence side of things. I think maybe because they're also starved through technology, they don't even realize they're, they're seeking it. So that, that importance of learning how to, communicate more on the human level is where they're lacking it. and the and the people that they've got the advice on the, in the past haven't done it and they haven't studied it and they don't take the time also to look at how to meet the people where they're at right now to be able to change that and like the thought like my engineering team I was telling you about so I've got some old school people in there I've got like the guy that starts work every single day at 5 a.m like he's there at 4.30 and he starts at 5 a.m. because he used to be in the field and that's when you started as an engineer. Now he's a trainer, but it's so ingrained and he is compliance. He is, we don't talk shit at work. Like we just do, you do the things, you do 10 hours, even though you're only getting paid for eight, you do 10 and like this real structure. And so when I start the meeting with, let's have an attitude of gratitude today. Yeah. Yeah, like here the fucking He's like backing out. Um, one of the girls, one of my uh girls on that team had she's the only girl on the team actually. She's introduced, she's like, let's do 3G, because everyone's over here talking about bloody, you know, you become more you get more 5G service when you've got your double jab here. But like, so the G's are interesting. But it's like we do now, we do gratitude, growth, and giving at the beginning of each session. And he was just like, I find, like, he's just like, I cannot believe that you're wasting time in meetings. Like he when was When do we mad, get to the real part of the meeting? Mad. Right. And he felt really disconnected from the team. The team, the rest of the trainers are a good 20 years younger. Some of them 30 years younger, nearly, nearly 30 years younger. And there's a different level and they, they read more of the spirituality books and they're a bit more conscious about... Con- conscious about consciousness and he felt disconnected and they play basketball and they goof off at work because they take their, their lunch break they actually go outside and play basketball and talk to each other this but it's just different programming and right. I said to him do you know what you feel disconnected because they they don't know how to connect with you have you not seen a shift in the last few months everyone's starting to connect with you more because no one knew that you wrote a, wrote a Ducati and like it you when you talk about you're grateful for riding your bike, you just turn into this whole nother person. And mm. we now get to see that you've got these amazing guitars and you, you know, in your downtime, you're jamming on the guitar. And now Brock plays the guitar and he wants to hang out with you. And the the connection and the friction between people and, and the opening up has completely changed the team dynamic. And it's like, oh, I sort of, 
I just thought you were just wasting time. <laughs> and I'm like, no, but now do you see? And it's like, it's like oh, but it's, uh, it's hard to unlearn. And I think that this is, this is probably the piece in those businesses that have come from that masculine energy. And I ran one of those businesses. I was known as the Black Widow. Like you make 100 cold calls, you don't do it. You're at my fucking desk. We're having a discussion about it. And if you continue to not do it, you move to that desk next in front of me. And if you and everyone knows if you move to that desk, <laughs> it's before more die. Right. And so it's I'm not just saying the men do this, but it's it's now I think people starting to go, well, how do I, how do I do this? And I talk about like you need to serve the seven human needs of an employee if you really want to make them productive and profitable because that makes them happy and happiness is the greatest hack to productivity and profitability so how i mean i think maybe at some point just a paycheck was enough to motivate people i don't know i wasn't around for this i love this story you talk about with your dad right and and back then being that was the extrinsic motivator and it's still the paycheck to that certain level. I've done a whole bunch of study on this recently. Have you heard of Stephen yeah. Kotler? You've got to know Stephen Kotler. Uh-uh. No? Who is it? Uh, Stephen Kotler's got 13 books. He wrote Bold and Abundance with Peter Diamandis. Oh. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, um, yes. And his new book is The Art of Impossible. And he's all about yep. flow. But he's uh, he talks about it in there as well. And I've completely lost my track now. Wow, we were talking about my out. dad and how yeah. extrinsic motivators. Oh, motivators, yeah. yeah. So part of the part of the art of ferocity and being able to achieve the impossible is looking at intrinsic, extrinsic motivators. And he talks about what you talk about in your book in terms of when they get to that baseline of security. Up until that point, they they will work for a paycheck. So I think it was like seventy five grand in America. Yeah, I think that's about right. Yep. Yeah, and then after that. You can just keep chucking money at them, but it's because of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So once they've got that base level of security, like I can pay my bills, I can eat, my family's good, then like if you're only trading time for money, you're going to lose your people and it's only going to motivate them so far. So you've got to look at how do you turn that intrinsic. So... I love that, you... you know, we're entrepreneurs and we really do need employees and we're going <laughs> to, I mean, shit's hitting the fan in the U S anyway, 25% of employees are resigning right now. They They're going to yeah. come back in about two years when they realize how hard entrepreneurship is. Mm-hmm. But right now, they all think they want to start a business and it's all going to be so much better. They're going to, they're all going to be coaches. Have a boss. <laughs> and that's yeah. what you think. But, um, but the thing is like, as an entrepreneur, you think what motivates you, like for me as an entrepreneur, what motivates me is winning the game. It's a board game. The objective is whatever I set the objective as make, make a million dollars in year one. And so then I like, it's like monopoly. I'm like, buy a whole town. Yeah. Buy a whole town. I would never (laughs) do that. Would I like, not anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And so she's just moved to the next village and buying up more of them. (laughs) So I just, I love making up a goal and hitting it. That's part of what makes me an entrepreneur. Let me tell you, that is not what motivates most people. 
Nope. Most people are motivated by very different things. Security motivates a lot of people. Time off motivates a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Like relaxation motivates well, people. This confuses me and makes no sense. <laughs> my brain. How, do you, how do you do this? I don't know. It, I don't Stephen know, about that but I have as well. heard about it. High performance people this is the biggest problem. And it's something I'm struggling. I literally struggle with right now. Um, there's a whole link in there. I won't, I won't dive too deep. But what you were talking about there is because some people, um, when they relax, uh, say vacation or whatever, it's actually, if you look at their um, primary love languages, it might be that their primary love language is quality time. Quality time. time. Off, yeah. And it's that's when they get to have quality time with their family. So they want lots of it. Yeah. Yeah. But that's the different motivators, right? Right. But but if you really understand these motivators, you can hack your culture to to give them that element. So there is ways if someone feels like say they just come to work and they do their work and they don't get quality time from someone that that part of their love bucket and recognition bucket buckets not getting filled, then they need to get it external from from work. So if you can find a way to satisfy their human needs and their their love languages in the office and in not necessarily in the office but in the business then they will yeah. they will not need to pull out as much. Mhm. 100% and they won't act out as much. In my book I talk about this as the win-win. So most people, when they interview someone and when they review, so when they're either interviewing an employee or reviewing an employee, they're, they're looking for their skill sets and either how they're, they're accomplishing the tasks or how they're going to accomplish the tasks. And the thought, and this was like, I had a big aha moment in my personal life. The thought is like, let's say the skill set is, I don't know, Facebook ad buying just as a skill set. So the thought is I'm interviewing Sarah. Let me find out if Sarah is any good at Facebook buying, because if Sarah is good at this skill set, it could be like operating a drill. Like it does like whatever the skill is, let me find out if Sarah is good at this. And then once I know that check then I know Sarah can be good at doing this job for me, which seemed very logical to me. Like if you're good at mopping the floors and then I hire you to mop the floors and I pay you a fair wage, I'm not gonna steal money from you or like steal your time. But like, let's say you and I agree $20 an hour is a good wage to mop the floors and I give you $20 an hour and you know how to mop the floors. you will then do a good job of mopping the floors. But if you don't know how to mop the floors, I could pay you $1,000 an hour. You won't be able to do this. So funny story. I had a live-in nanny. Amazing nanny. Loved living with her. She was an incredible cook. She was great with the kids. But the kitchen was a fucking disaster. I would come home and when she would like cook, I don't know. She used every pan in the house. (laughs) They would never get washed. And like, I couldn't, I I was constantly like, as an employee, 
I didn't want to fire her. Great with the kids, great food, laundry was done. But like <laughs> there were bugs in my house. And I was constantly like, so you got to wash <laughs> the dishes. I'm like, does she not know how? Do I need to get her a training course? Do I need to pay her more? Like why this, how do I make this task happen? And then years later, she moved out and I frequently went to her house and never, not once was there a dirty dish in her house. Food was just as good. I ate at her house many times, a hundred percent of the time, a hundred percent of the dishes were done. And I had this aha moment that just because a person can do a task, even if you pay them, even if you pay them an amount, they look you in the eye and agree to, doesn't mean they will do the task. Yep. With the gusto that they could or should. And that was like a huge turning point to one of our core philosophies in building our team culture is like, what's the win-win? Because yeah. the reason she did the dishes at her house was she liked how her house looked when the dishes were done. <laughs> and the reason she didn't do the dishes at my house is she didn't live no, there. House. Didn't, <laughs> didn't matter. Yeah. Didn't bother her. Yeah. She was eating um, the food. She wanted the food to be good. Yeah. Like. But it didn't bother her what the kitchen looked like. It wasn't our kitchen. Yeah. So you have to identify what's actually motivating people. Now, you can say, I don't want to, because I don't want to. And you can say the money should be enough to motivate that. What if I pay you $25 an hour? But the truth is. And you could pay I, me $250 an hour. I ain't cleaning my toilets. That's not, that's not my job. Not gonna. Like, like I grew up in a trailer park and I had to shower in the amenities block. And the only time I got to shower was when we were cleaning the bathrooms. I don't clean bathrooms. I, I didn't realize the trigger until I was doing a podcast ages ago. And I'm like, I feel like a bit princessy, but like, since I had my first business at 21, like I've had someone clean my bathrooms for the last 22 years. I don't do it. And because I think I go back to like dad with the fire hose cleaning out the There's amenities. No win-win. You can't, you like, can't find that. How about a thousand dollars an hour? Like there's no, if you can't find the win-win, the task won't get done. So yeah. money's a piece of it, but money's not the only thing as much as, as entrepreneurs, we want it to be like, we want it to be. That's the easy thing. Because that's easy, right? I just, we I just, it to be get, this I can easily make world. money. I can just give money. Like I don't need to think about it. And because when you go that, that next step, every person on your team is different. Like you right. don't get a one size fits all. Oh, if mm -hmm. I fill them up, if I give them connection time, or if I give them words of praise, like the words of affirmation will keep them going or it, every person is going to be different. Mm -hmm. And that can seem exhausting. But I tell you what's more exhausting? Fucking performance managing people that aren't working out or dealing with the drama of people like getting let down, like team members letting each other down and 
going through that whole recruitment process again or not hitting the goals that you want to hit because your team's not at the performance. So it's that it's the whole like side of um, same as football, right? It's the it's the things that you do up front, the practice you do before. Oh, lost you for a second. You're back. You were an amazing freeze frame then for a second. You were so raptured by what I was saying. You were like, (gasps) (laughs) what happened? That's never happened to me before. I told you it's my energy thing. Oh my God. Okay. She's like, I know what happened. I have a thing. Uh, I have a thing. Can you edit it? Yeah. Okay. You're not worried. Yeah. We probably don't though. Okay. (laughs) I kept talking. It was fine. And you just looked like you were so stoked to hear what I was saying. (laughs) But I do actually, like, it is annoying when you have to retrain people. Like, it is, it's like, I kept trying to convince her to do the dishes, but it wasn't (laughs) going to happen. It would have cost me less money and stress to hire someone to come in and do the dishes. Or to tell her, don't cook. Yeah, But you have to be honest about Mm -hmm. what's happening and that honesty, which I think is also a feminine leadership trait Mm. is not what we were taught by our like male bosses and the male books, like be honest about the truth about cleaning bathrooms for you or doing dishes for you. Like be honest, isn't what we're taught. So like one of the it's not, I think it's not necessarily honesty, it's vulnerability. And this goes to Renee Brown's work, right? So creating the space where people can be vulnerable for me to like, it took me like, literally, I only figured this out maybe a year ago that that was my trigger. Like my ex-husband used to be like, stop being such a princess, like blah, blah, blah. And I'm, I'm like, and when we first got together and wasn't making as much money as what I make now is like no you're not having a cleaner I'm like fuck it unless you're gonna do it because I am OCD and it needs to be clean I ain't cleaning it so I will sacrifice many other things to be able to pay for that that's a high thing for me but I never knew why and it was only through having vulnerable conversations and and that's the self-leadership of looking in but I think that's there's one thing about honesty and there's another thing about the vulnerability and being able to go actually this is this is a trigger so I will agree with you on self-leadership and vulnerability, but I want to take it to the next level and say, as the leader's responsibility for creating a safe space for you. Yeah. You've got to create. Right? And, and, and say, you're not going to get to... fired. We're no. going to find a win-win. It might yep. look different than the original job description, but if we can find a win-win that works for you and works for the business, we're going to find a win-win. We're not going to have you in a job that makes you miserable. Miserable. Because if you're in a job that makes you miserable, you're going to do a shitty job that won't work for us. Yeah. And you're going to be an unhappy human and that won't work for you and you'll ultimately quit. So we got to find the win-win. Yeah. And, and this comes find to the win-win. I have to create a safe space for you to be vulnerable. Yeah. That's my responsibility. Yeah. And the only way to do that is to be authentically vulnerable yourself and to, and to not Mm -hmm. judge or punish when someone is vulnerable. Now, obviously there's, there's behavior, there's poor behavior things that need to um, be performance managed, 
We're not talking about that. This is about general vulnerability. But if you look at that, even that situation of her genius is childcare and cooking, not cleaning, right? So if you diverted that energy to clean the kitchen and because it's out of flow and she hates it, and then it could probably take two, three hours more time than what it should. And then the knock-on effect from that though is fully drained, battery depleted, energy that's getting emitted and the vibration getting emitted is I'm pissed off. I fucking hate this. I'm like, this is, I'm not, this is not good. Now your kids aren't getting the attention. I was going to say, which doesn't make you awesome at childcare. No. So, and this happens with all job functions, right? So if we force people because we don't want to do it, or we're being lazy, or we just think they should get onto it and entrepreneurs, we can do a million other things. Like not everyone's wired like us. And we've got different motivators. It's our business. No one's going to care about your business the way you do, right? right? The thing is, when we pulled, when we put someone into something that's completely out of their flow, they might be able to do it. Depending on their motivator, if they're a super, like a high performance, A-type personality, win at all costs, like, and their, their significance factor is high, they will push through and get something done. But then, but... And they might do a great job of it right then and there. And you're like, oh, they did a great job. We're going to make them do it again. They did a great job. I'll make them do it again because they want to please. But then it's actually when you start looking at their other work, it starts to disintegrate. Their happiness starts to go down and their ability to bounce back and be that chirpy person dissolves. So like you've got to look at what costs. And this is why I really love about focusing on the person's own unique genius and finding those wins, wins and creating the, like you said, find, like maybe it's a different job description. Maybe it's like, how do we change it up? What do we do to make this work for both of us? Because when it works for both of us, rather than it being like just the two of you, the, the compound interest upon that and what it does for the business line is ridiculous. Right. That's the thing. That was the big discovery for me is I kept trying to force people into this model I thought should work. Like in theory, maybe if I- On paper, it looks great. (laughs) Maybe if I explain it better, maybe I should make a video. Maybe I should make a wiki. Maybe I should make a better checklist. Maybe I should explain it louder. Maybe I should have better performance improvement (laughs) plans. Maybe I need this. I remember having a coffee with my dad in Jacksonville, Florida. I was surfing. The one and only time I ever went surfing in Jacksonville, Florida with my friend, Jim Shills, Jim, Jim Shills and uh, Brian Scrone took me surfing in Jacksonville. I met up with my dad and I was complaining about employees. And he said, you know what you need? And I thought he was going to tell me like a Jack Daniels. Yeah, <laughs> no. Uh, and he said, yeah, Jack Daniels is lightning. Yeah, this is what he said. He said, middle management, you need middle management. And I was like, oh my God, have we reached that point in life? Are things that bad that someone's <laughs> recommending middle management? What we need to do is distance you from the people, Angela. <laughs> yeah, we need to get you away from the people. <laughs> oh my God. I think like 
alcohol would have been a nicer suggestion. I need middle management. Like that's the only answer. That's what it's down to. And like that was, uh, yeah, that was a particular low point. But no matter what I try, like middle management, better manuals, more meetings that people try to convince me this day. I don't know if you're one of the daily stand-up people do Not a daily really. meeting. No, we do. Like I run um, for my own team. I want run just a weekly huddle. Uh, I like a weekly. For, for the but people trainers. like more meetings, more people, no. more instructions. Here's I run answer. a Monday and Friday. I run a Monday and Friday call, but it's, yeah. it's, um, and all clients and different teams come in. Like my clients teams come on. It is an active journaling session. So oh. Mondays, so the Monday huddle isn't like a normal Monday meeting. It's all around like mindset, motivation, and your milestones for the week and making sure that we're on the right path. And it's more of an internal thing. It's about the self-leadership and tapping into like, why do you want to get something done? Is it still important? And then we put risk and rewards for the, the motivators on it for the accountability to the tasks. Um, but it's, a, it's, it's seen as if, like we start with breath work and, you know, we get people centered and it's about going in and analyzing. And then on Fridays, it's a reflection session. What worked and what didn't work? What do we keep, delete and start doing? And I go through like, all sorts of stuff like where was I at cause so if I had this good result what what was what did I do to cause that good result did I sleep well did I not drink during the week did I exercise did I meditate in the morning did I actually have my plan right did I just actually really want to do it and it wasn't something I just had to do or if something went pear-shaped what where was I at cause so extreme ownership not blame but going oh actually I had this meeting and it was like really like frictional, like it was like bang, bang, bang with someone. Okay, cool. Tell me about, like, think back about what were the steps before that? Oh, the kids were all over me in the fucking morning and I was rushed and I was like to work. And then I went in to see such and such and they fucked this up. And then the then a customer rang and it was a disaster. And then I had to race in and I was five minutes late. And then they were sitting there like with attitude. I'm like, mm-hmm. And what do you reckon your energy and lateness said to that person when you walked in? Because now you're already on the back foot and you're projecting all of that shit onto them. They're not even realizing their wall's gone up and they're probably gone into defense mode because they already feel like they're backed into a corner and now you've got a headbutt. Mm -hmm. So it's about like helping them figure out where they're at cause, cultivating the right energy states, getting them able to be response able rather than reactionary. So it's a, it's, a meeting but it's not a meeting like it's it's an active journaling session self-leadership I give a few tips but then they are held accountable which means that we don't have to have all of the meetings and I mean we have I don't know we might have I don't know 20 different teams on one call they're not necessarily talking to each other but it, they all go back and be more productive right I love that yeah to me the answer like none of the external stuff was wrong meetings, middle managers, instructions, none of that was wrong. But the answer had to start from love. The answer had to start from, and I didn't want it to, by the way. <laughs> I, cause I didn't start 
I didn't want to build a team. I wanted to help my clients and a team was required. Yeah. I, I love my clients. I didn't love my team. My team was required for me to serve my clients. So I had to find the love for the team. I love my job. I love my passions. I love my vision, but my team was just like, I guess I need these assholes to do what I want to do. Yeah. See, I see, I tell people to stop treating like, especially virtual or remote team, stop treating them like an app. They're not an oh, app. Yeah, that's just what I just wanted to press in. the button. Yeah. Let's go. Press button, spit go. results out. Yeah. yeah. And make it good. Yeah. Like really good. Better than yeah. what I do. Yeah. And so it's like, if you keep treating people me, like apps. That was to me, like if I could, if people could walk away from this podcast with one thing, the big mind shift. And if somebody told me this, I would have wanted to like, I don't know, maybe hit them with a two by four, but like, you're going to have to choose to love your team. Yep. As much as you love your product, as excited as you got about building your whatever widget, like as much as you got excited about your first client, as much as you got excited about your passion for sunrises and you're like, all I'm going to do in life is take pictures of sunrises. Great. If you need people to help you to get your sunrise pictures in museums around the world, you're going to have to love the team as much as you love the sunrise. So I'm just going to go back to what you just said there. And I, um, uh, I don't know which chapter in the book it is, but when I say this, you'll be able to point me back. Um, it's, I was just doing a workshop with a client. They're going from, they're like 30 mil now. They're going to 50 mil in the next 15 months. We're going to go from 90 staff to 200 staff, new owners. Um, and I was like, okay, you keep telling them to sell this stuff, but have they even tried the stuff themselves? Like they sell food. It's like, seriously. Uh, I'm like, we have to reverse engineer the customer experience. I said, talk to me about the customer experience. Talk to me like, what do you want them to think, feel, do, and say about you when they walk away from that counter? And they're like, so we rattled up, we whiteboarded it and everything. I said, cool. Do you think your staff feel any of those things? And they went, oh. I said, there's a book called, um, what you do is who you are. Um, mm-hmm. And actually, my, my, Eric Edmeads um, went through it with me in um, one of these podcasts about the importance of you have to treat your staff. They need to come first. It needs to be staff first, customer second, because the fish rots from the head down. And if you don't model to them what you want them to model to your customers, so them as humans to the customer as a human, then they're never going to get it. They're not going to know how to model it. They're not going to, it's going to be inauthentic. It's going to be a grind. It's not going to be, it's just not going to get done. So you reverse engineer the customer experience and then lay that into the experience you give your team members. 100%. And start, if the number one customer in your business is your team, they pay you, they they are buying your opportunity every single day. And as you said, there's the the mass, resignation that they're calling it in America right now, the mass resignation. Everyone's quitting because they can easily start an online business, what they think, right? right? What they think and what's reality, different stories. But there's a mass resignation, especially for shitty bosses, like, fuck you, I'm out. Or any decent talent's getting snapped up because there's a a war for talent that's anyone that's half decent. So you're going to lose them. 
So you've got to think about why the best people are going to work for you, why you're going to, why they're going to give you the blood, sweat and tears and not just be trading time for money. Because when you're trading time for money, they can get money elsewhere. So you're selling an opportunity every single day to them, right? And they're paying you with the most precious resource they've ever got in the world, time. So if you want them to give you their most valuable resource and the thing that they have, like that they spend them where they spend the most of it, then you better be fucking worth it. That's why the book is called Make a Bag to Work for You. And before that book, I wrote a book called Make a Bag to Publish Your Book. And so I help people write books and make six figures, seven figures from their book. Our average author makes $250,000 from their book in the first year. And here is the secret to my book, Make and Beg to Publish Your Book. And it's the secret behind Make and Beg to Work for You as well. Be fucking awesome. Like there's no shortcut. No, there's no like... There's no trick. People are like, how many, how many Instagram followers do I need? Like, I'm going to go on Fiverr and buy a hundred (laughs) thousand Instagram. Like, there's no trick. Here's how you get that. Like, you know, who could get every single publisher begging to publish her book is Michelle Obama. You know why? She's fucking awesome. If you were as awesome as Michelle Obama, people will beg to publish your book. You know who is would have anyone begging to work for them right now? Facebook, Amazon, Google. I mean, you begged Google <laughs> to work for them. Why did you beg Google to work for them in 2005, 2006? Because you could tell they were fucking Google. Awesome. <laughs> You're like, these people yeah. are going to rule the world. I would My like to be a part of that. Favorite client to, to fire was wonderful. Okay, right. Well, like, so, and probably because they got less awesome, but like, there are, there profit are, killing. Just profit hot, killing. <laughs> there are hot employers out there in every industry at every size. And if you want someone to beg to work for you, you have to at least a little bit want to be awesome. Yeah. You can't be like, and- I want great talent. And here's what I'm willing to do. Pay an average salary. Pay, pay the industry award rate. Uh, yeah. Not enough. Insufficient. Yeah. That's not going to be it. So not only do you need to oh, And I don't want to train them. I want them to, I want them just to come in and know everything and bring clients. Be brilliant. Too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I want a unicorn. Yeah. Who can yeah, do. I want, a, right. I want a unicorn for donkey price. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah. yeah it's like and I don't want to do anything to help them. get to know them the interview is going to be all about me I'm going to mm-hmm. talk about myself my business the tasks that I have I'm not going my to get list of to demands know, right my list of demands we can go through your checklist you can prove yourself to me it's not that market Mm-mm. nope it's not it's not that movie anymore and and even if I mean, I do think in a couple of years, there's going to be a lot of talent back on the market when they realize how much being a business owner sucks. Sorry, if you're listening to this in the future, <laughs> and you're like, oh, I get it now. Uh, you're going to, there's going to be a lot of great employees who really mm-hmm. get, I remember the day that I got it. I was, I had owned my own business for two or three years and it was a snowstorm. 
and I got a call from an employee saying they weren't coming in because it was uh, there was a snowstorm the night before it was fine but they weren't coming in because they couldn't get out of their driveway or whatever and when I got that call I was frantically calling plowing companies to come and plow <laughs> our parking lot and I burst into tears thinking about all of the times that my employers had plowed a parking lot and I wasn't even remotely grateful. Didn't even occur to me to be grateful. All the times they had to deal with a shitty cleaning company that didn't show up and they had to call another cleaning company and pay double so I could have a clean workspace mm -hmm. that I wasn't even remotely grateful. Like we're yeah. gonna have two years from now, amazing, grateful employees who were like, oh, I had no idea how hard being a business owner was. Yeah. I'm so grateful for all the things my employers provide. But until then, we have an incredibly competitive marketplace. And even after them, when people come back. Because the top talent will be networked, right? And they'll be, they'll, if they're, even if they're on their own, all bosses will be keeping an eye on them. People will be the vultures. I call the vultures. They start circling, right? Totally. Totally. I'm already doing it. Like, I'm yeah. like, let me link into all these people that think they're starting their own business. Uh -huh. uh -huh. I'm going to want to Talent hire pooling. Them. Talent pooling yeah. for sure. Right. And, and even the, so another thing, because a lot of people don't think it's outside of the box. All these people are going out on the, start their own business, right? They, uh, right for the picking to freelance and you start giving them a bit of freelance work. You give them a couple of projects to do then a couple more projects. And then they think they're working for themselves, but actually they're just working for you. Yep. It's, a beautiful, it. it's a beautiful <laughs> round <laughs> merry-go-round that one. Um, yeah. But it, it, what I really want people to realize is going back to what we're talking about, the motivators, like if you actually just spend the time to get to know your people, you and how to make them happy, how to recognize them, how they feel recognition. Throwing dollars at people only works for, really only works for people that are, don't have the security level or their primary love language is gifts and they see it as a gift, right? Oh, it can't be, and that only works as bonuses rather than commission because otherwise that's earned. Oh, but, that's interesting. Right? But some of the best salespeople. Like, what do you think? What do you think about sale? What's your theory on comp for sales? Yeah. Sales biz dev where they're directly yeah. adding revenue to the team. Yeah. So uh, like I said, I did 13 years in sales recruitment specifically. And I really like, I am, I'm driven by uh, when I was in it. Uh, I didn't realize I wasn't, I was driven by the money. I wanted to make money, but it was more the ego side of things in terms of that was my, measurable that I was able to use for the success so it was and I never actually was I never actually sat down and go oh if I build this much I'm going to make this much commission it was like if I build this much I win the title and I, I beat all the boys that have never broken that amount before so you know I'm just gonna like the highest month was that ever done was 46 grand I'm like fuck you guys I'm gonna do 100 grand and they're like not possible I'm like watch like, but I'd never actually went back and went, oh, how much commission is that to me? I loved the lifestyle and I lived, lived to the lifestyle of the commission. And I would feel ripped off if I was making someone so much money and not getting a clip because 
but that would more be that I wouldn't feel like it's a fair exchange, but we were on really low base salaries as well as um, the proportions. But I think there needs to be an element of you've got to have skin in the game with a salesperson. Like they need to be rewarded fair trade for going above and beyond. So having the, having a threshold that covers the cost to run them within the business and giving those kickers for when they go above and beyond. So not, not, it's kind of like not, not giving reward when it's not due. So you've got to have a base level. Like this is, this is what it is to get the job done, but everything above that, I'm going to give you a reward, but it's, it's about how you actually put that to them. So if you understand what the drivers are of the salesperson, are they a words of affirmation person? Because it's, you'll get far more from them when you give them the check, but to announce them and give them the public recognition and the words of praise, they will receive that much better than just the dollars. Mm. Right. And it's the, do you phrase it as a commission or do you think it's different if you phrase it as a bonus? Um, Well, it depends on your structure. Um, And it depends on when you're hiring, what the profiles of the person coming in are. So some people, like certain personality types, make like your high Ds um, in a disc profile or um, the super competitive, if they've like, and depending on if you look at what their personal goals are, commission's going to be one thing because they'll see it as um, fair exchange. I make you this, I get this. Like this is a fair exchange. Whereas other people, if they're, if they're uh, uh, say, a, a S and they're more of a supporter, and their love language is more around um, acts of service or um, receiving gifts, then the bonus and the way that's worded is a different motivator. Interesting. So fascinating. Like, then it's like, oh my God, you appreciate me at significance level. If they're, depending on where their, their significance level is, when you give a bonus, it's like, oh my God, you, you see me and you appreciate my hard work. So mm-hmm. if I was going to do a traditional sales thing, I'd probably do both. I would have a commission structure, oh. um, but I would have it as a lower commission structure and I'd have it budgeted in the bonuses. I'd know roughly what the bonuses are, but I'd also choose the bonuses wouldn't always be money. Because again, really? understanding, yeah, well, understanding people's motivators and their own shit as well. And what they would love to do and what could be seen as extra levels of integration. So one of our clients, what we're going to do is the guys that work for them live paycheck to paycheck. You pay them more, they live paycheck to paycheck. We've got to, we're going to do some financial training with them, right? To help them in their own life. But they would never in their family dynamic be able to just take a chunk of money and go on their own holiday and have an experience like that just it, the the brain can't go there that's not acceptable right there would be so, too much debt or it would be seen as unfair being to them. ostentatious but yeah. if they're like my work sending me on this trip yep um yeah they couldn't go away from their family on their own like there's a whole lot of layering around that but if we send them to the source supplier of one of the products in Tasmania right? A place where they've probably never gone and they would never go. And when the suppliers take it, they're high end. So they usually do an experience to impress the the buyers, right? And now they get to go on this experience. But then we (laughs) layer it with, we're going to do some adventure as well while we're there, right? And now they've got a holiday. 
they've learned more about the product the product so it they've is had some team training. building because you know the owner can't just let them run along by themselves he better go along too right and now you've got an experience that they never would have given themselves couldn't and couldn't even give themselves and they bring them like they could call the manufacturer and be like i'd like to come on vacation and tour your plant yeah like that it's just so far and so far removed from their reality like if you can if you can bonus them something that is so far removed from what they think is possible imagine what that can do for them right it really changes who they are almost yeah it will think about like it. I don't know. Shift. You've probably been to a mastermind where you've gone and had an experience and you, you've just never, you're never going to be the same again. Yep. A hundred percent. Right. So for me in recruitment, we used to bust our butts to make, um, to make a certain level. We had a, we call it platinum club because at platinum club, we got to do fucking cool shit. Like we'd rent out a yacht. Uh, we'd fly from Melbourne to Sydney and we'd rent a yacht at five grand an hour to which back then was a lot to go around Sydney Harbour and drink beer and like or drink champagne and be fancy and you know and at 25 years old this is the shit hot stuff right right then or to go skydiving or um one of the other things well I did for my high rollers club anyone that hit over a certain threshold which was three times their um three times their uh target so target is 20 you do 60 we go out for lunch and I mean, when we go out to lunch, we we go to Voudemont, which is like a two-hat restaurant with a 12-course degustation, and it's 1500 bucks a head for lunch. And, you know, wow. you're 26 years old, and you're having $1,500 uh, lunches, and then you're, you know, take the take the boys to the, the local bar and the local clubs, and, you know, that's Amazing. an experience that you just... You wouldn't go if you got if you got your commission check with an extra fifteen hundred bucks. You're not going to go and pay for that, right? Because right. it's if ostentatious. You're go to pay a credit card bill, you'll never even feel it or see it. Yeah, and because it's ostentatious, you don't even know that this is something that's available to you, right? And it's exposing them to to different things, and then they're like, now this becomes part of their life. Like these are the things that you appreciate, and that and the elements and you do not you do not want to miss out on the next lunch like you don't want to be the one that's back in the office while everyone's like at the next fancy restaurant having a degustation (laughs) who do you think that what love language do you think that motivates well that particular one it touched on multiple levels though right because they got quality time my team got quality time with me quality time yeah right? Because it's just us. And, and we came back with a story and like, we do all sorts of crazy stuff, right? Um, it was an act of, it could be seen as an act of service. It could be seen as a gift, right? But the words of affirmation came in because you got a massive company-wide recognition for making that list, for making high rollers. Like it went out across the whole company, your name went on a board, you got a plaque, Mm. right um the only one that's not really uh touching is physical touch but i must say on more than one of the occasions one of the boys had to piggyback me down the street so that's okay so maybe that (laughs) yeah um but i also knew which one of my guys were physical touch and so when we brought them up to get their trophy i physical pat on the back 
or a hug. And then I had one guy mm. whose physical touch was zero. And so I used to threaten him if he didn't do his work, my little finger was going to touch him. I'm going to touch you. If you don't do your work, this is right. And he used to freak the fuck out. And seven years later, he came running up to me in the street and hugged me. And I was like, oh, who are you? <laughs> Peter, you don't do this. And he's like, I just, I'm just so grateful. The time he goes, I didn't realize what he, he'd gone into management. He started studying all this stuff. He's like, I didn't realize yeah. what you were doing to me. And he goes, totally. he wouldn't get in. This guy would not get in a lift with me. He was so scared. Of, like he couldn't be like, one of the bosses asked him to, we caught the same ferry home. He asked him to take me down the, and take me in. He would, he would, did not want to get in the lift with me. <laughs> I'm like, I'm in it. You sit next to me all day. <laughs> like, right. Um, no, I think that's one of the most rewarding things. Like as we're, you know, as we're kind of circling around in this discussion is like one of the most rewarding things is when you have employees, and I know for me, it tends to be the younger ones, but that come in and they think it's a job and, you know, not, not that my, those employees aren't grateful, but then they go somewhere else <laughs> and they're like, oh, that was a thing. You were doing a thing. Like, I thought that was mm-hmm. just a job. I thought that's how it worked. <laughs> Yeah, and I've had no. so many people call me back that were like, you know, nice, relatively nice employees, but they didn't really get what I was doing. Yeah, And then they're like, oh, wow, that was formative in my life as an employee. But that's the thing for me is like, as a great manager and as someone who is doing things that are if you do things that are in the box, that are in all the management books, your employees are going to hate you. Yeah. And if you do things that are out of the box, your employees are going to hate you. Like they're still not going to get it. They're not going to be like, oh, thank God you're looking for a win-win. But you will get the calls from people or the hugs on the street from people <laughs> who are like, you changed my life. Mm-hmm. And we, I don't know, I'm a coach. So as a coach, I expect that from my clients. Five years later, I have people who say, you made me a millionaire. You helped me retire my husband. I'm so grateful I was able to pay for my college, my kids' college tuition in cash. We live on a boat now. Like, I expect that from my clients. Yeah. But hearing that from my employees, I never signed up for that, that I didn't know. And it's for me, it's especially the women who say like, I knew what to ask for and how to ask for it. I knew how to sign, how to show up with accountability, but also with confidence that I was bringing something to the table too. Like I talk in the book, Make and Beg to Work for You, I talk about the master-slave dialectic. And they talk about how they realized like they were not, it was a partnership of equals. See, this This is why I, this is why I was saying like, I loved your book. And so that it's rare for people to understand the master-slave side of things. Although like, I hate org charts. Like we do, we do alliance blueprints based on 
Reid Hoffman's book, The Alliance, but um, which is by the LinkedIn co-founders. So Reid Hoffman and Chris Yee, Yee I think, um, and about how they built, oh, you'll love it, Angela. You will love it because it's about, we are making an agreement to form an alliance to go together on this mission, the company mission to achieve this mission, right? And we're going to make a tour of duty rather than a job description that's usually a finite time. And then we're going to reassess that and see if it's working and whether we yes. need to grow you, right? Or to yep. release you with love to where you want to go because you've given us your all. And in exchange, I've given you a portfolio resume that you can take to get to your next thing, to be able to get to your next thing or be, become who you want to become. Like you love all of that. But for me, I make it, it's a network, right? So when we even draw the org charts, we usually have like a nucleus in the center, which are like the catalysts or the, I'm the chief ripple creator. Uh, one of my clients is the cannonball because he starts, I, I'm the catalyst. I push the cannonball. He starts the ripples. Our ripple creators are our frontline um, trainers, deliverers, right? And then we have an awesomeness team and an impact team, right? But everyone sees how they all work together and not one person is more important than the other. Like my job, my purpose in that team is to clear the hurdles for the ripple creators to get to site and do the train and to reduce, like to increase the safety, efficiency and happiness of hydraulics engineers across the world, right? So yeah. my job, I'm not the boss. I'm not the, the manager. My job is to get the fucking hurdles out of the way so that those guys can be in peak performance and that every time they walk into the training room, they can go, showtime, motherfuckers. Right. And not be walking in going, ah! <laughs> why do I have to deal with this and that? And this isn't yeah. working. Where's my books? Why and... is that happening? And fine, where's the masks? And totally. blah, blah, blah. Right. My job. And so when, and now that changes the dynamic because they can come to me and say, do you know what? I know that before it used to seem like we were whinging to people that we no longer have on the team because I was like, ah, oh, this isn't set up or that's not done there. It's just like, oh, just do it yourself or stop being a whinger. It's like, but when this happens, because I'm not a people person and I am a, a details introvert, but I have to go in and train a team of 10 engineers staring at me. If I don't have the safety and security that my paperwork and my books are right, I start to freak out. And I'm like, yeah, that's valid. I could understand why you would start to freak out because safety, security, compliance, things in a box is what makes you feel like you've got control. And then you can put yourself into that position. I need to fix that for you. That is now a big deal. Mm -hmm. But not understanding those things. Totally. So being able to like, not, not master slave, like I'm your slave. Like I got to get whatever you need to get that shit done. Like, right. And I tell my team, you manage me up, manage me up. You, Kay's like, Kay's constantly like, you are not allowed to give away spots in your calendar. You're making me look bad. She cried to me the other day. She goes, you're making me look bad. I'm like, what do you mean? She goes, my job is to make sure that you have enough time and space. And like, there's just people in the calendar. You're doing stuff free and you're, you've got no time for yourself. And I look bad as a gatekeeper. That's it. You are not allowed to put anyone in your calendar ever again. They come to me. I'm <laughs> like, okay, mom. okay, well done. I told you to manage up. Yep. Yep. Life got a whole lot easier. <laughs> People got qualified. Uh, nice. Yeah. Like, and it's empowering, right? It's empowering for them. Now that I've got a sense of contribution and, and significance, like I matter. I'm not, I'm not the 
VA or the EA based in a, a developing country and not as important as somebody else. Like, right. This team does not work without, my lovely assistant has COVID right now. And so like this, you know, she can't, she's still, I'm like, I had a video call her last night. I'm like, stop working, stop working. She's like, I can't sleep and I'm bored. I can't go outside. So I might as well do stuff. He's like, so let me just do stuff. And I'm like, how about we just have a chat? How about that? (laughs) Rather than you do stuff. Um, But the understanding that, you know, without one of us, the the rest of the wheel falls, like everything just falls down. Mm -hmm. And dissolving that hierarchy. So I kind of went on a rant. What were you saying about the master slave? Uh, you know, that employees have power and, and employers have power and it's not like that dialectic. Um, you know, I, I took a big thing in my book. I talk about, uh, I have a background in theater and I talk about your team as a cast and the director is super important but not more important than the lead. And honestly, not more important than the chorus. You don't have a show without any one of those pieces. And that was inspired actually by Reed Hoffman. Um, My staff always wanted to call us a family. We're a family, we're a family. And I heard a Reed Hoffman- I don't know what your family's like, but I don't want to know more family in my family. Right, exactly, I'm good. Uh, But Reed Hoffman was talking about I think it was Reed Hoffman. No, maybe it was the Netflix slide deck where they were saying, we're not a family, we're a professional sports team. Yeah, see, that's it. Obviously coming from building a sporting league and playing sports, I my analogy is always like, yeah, the quarterback might seem like the star, but if you ain't got no one snapping the ball to him and you haven't got a running back to be the sacrificial lamb, they're fucked. Right, (laughs) like we can have the best quarterback. And then by the way, We could love our quarterback. He could be the best quarterback in the world. And if he breaks his leg, we're not going to keep putting him in the game. So, or if he's just 57, (laughs) we're not going to keep putting him in the game. So this is, so I, I try not to use sports analogies because I'm not an athlete and it's an embarrassment. But I use theater analogies because I'm a theater person. And so um, and so if you think of it as a cast, when you're in a show, and I'm sure this is like teams, you love the people that used to be in a oh, I did a show with him. Yeah, oh, they we were, were amazing at this. It was like amazing. this genius thing. Yeah. Totally. That it's not like a bad thing that they're not in the show now. Oh, I think he's doing this now. I think she's in that now. Oh yeah, she did this show for a couple of years. Like, it's not a bad thing, but we have this story that we're all going to pretend together that we're going to work at the company forever. Because if it's a family and they and someone leaves, then you got divorced. No one talks to the divorce. It's terrible. That's <laughs> terrible. And I always say, I'm like, you guys, we're not a family, no. and that's not bad. We're a cast. We're a yeah. cast of a show. You guys are in the show now. Somebody else is going to be in all those roles some other time. Everybody's replaceable. A chorus line was on Broadway for 30 years. If the same person was playing the lead for 30 years, it would not be that a good kick, show. That leg kick just wouldn't be yeah, as high, would it? <laughs> yeah, not as good. It. 
So little orphan Annie cannot play a five-year-old for 30 years. It would yeah. not be a good show. So like, that's the, that's the mindset shift. When you go, when you're in that master slave dialectic, if the employer has all the power, cause we're paying you and the employee, especially women have no power cause they want the paycheck. So they just have to do whatever their mean boss says. And then you hope you keep that job forever and you hope you don't get fired. It's such like, it's a lot, it's like a weird lie. It's not true. So why are we pretending? Yeah. And it's a shitty situation for everything. As the employer, I have to know everything and keep you forever. As the employee, you're like subject to my will. I guess I can put a collar around you and tell yeah. you to bark. Like what? But if we're in a cast and I'm the director, and you're the talent and you get to decide whether or not to sign a contract. And then once a year, you decide if you want to renew the contract and you're just like, yeah, I like a chorus line. I'm going to do another year. Like I met the guy, uh, we were in a hot tub together in Maine, uh, who plays Samuel. <laughs> all, good st- all good stories start with, I was in a hot tub. I was in a hot tub in Maine. He plays Samuel Seabury in Hamilton on Broadway. And he's played the same role. It's like a small role, but it's like a super fun role. Uh, and he's played it for seven years. And they were shut down for a year, you know, for COVID. And he went home to Utah and lived with his family and did some online stuff, training, like fun stuff and took some time off. And I was like, are you going back? He's like, yeah, I signed a contract. I love that show. It's a great, it's a great cast. It's great. Maybe he'll, that role has let, maybe he'll play Samuel Seabury for 30 years. Yeah. But he doesn't have to decide that today and they don't have all the power and he has none. Yeah. He's got a ton of power and they've got a ton of power. He's got a lot. But this to is offer. what forms the alliance. And this is what I love yeah. about Reed's thing because you both have an obligation now. Yeah. You're not a golden handcuff to something. It's just, it's just, it's both. We're equal. We're different. I'm not saying yeah. we're equal. We, we bring the same thing. I'm the director. Everybody brings You're different things. Talent. We've all got a role. We need each other, but I can't do anything without you. You can't do anything without me. That doesn't mean I'm the master and you're the slave. It means it's a team. It's a, it's a, see, I try not to, it's, we're a cast. Try yeah. not to do sports metaphors. It's hard not to do sports <laughs> metaphors. I know. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. So masculine as well. <laughs> yeah. Um. So let's just, let's just uh, touch on the, because the front of the cover says the seven steps to find, hire, manage, reward, and release all-star players. And it's so funny because my group is called Hire, Train, Lead. Um, and I talk about hiring heroes um, because I say I hire like heroes. You should just you want to- hire me. I'm ready. I know. I know. Me on. Come on now. Let's just do this. Seriously. <laughs> um, it's for me because heroes, right? If you think about what's a band of superheroes, they're, you know, they, they have your back. They've got a common mission. They've got a common enemy. Like they don't let the team down. Like they're not going to be like, oh yeah, I'm just going to lunch when you're about to like go in and rescue a, a poor victim from right. a burning building. They're not like, yeah, gotta go. all right, not my job. Bye. Like you, your team of heroes, which is, which is your all-star players. 
Um, so talk, talk to me through the, the seven steps. What are the seven steps that everyone needs to follow to be able to build, so, make them beg to work for you and stay with you? Yeah. So it's based on the acronym company. That's just mostly so I can remember it. So let's yeah. see if I do. Um, I'm going to test you. I'm opening the page. I was going to say, well, C stands for culture. I'm not, rem I'm not remembering exactly what, but I'll tell you what, what it actually, I think it's create controversy in there. Um, and what it means is if you want someone to beg for, to work for you, um, you have to stand for something. And what most people, most companies want to do is be vanilla. Like we stand for great experiences. You have to stand for something people would take issue with, that people yeah. might disagree with, that people might not um, support because there have to be what I call enemies. And so, um, so that, that part of it create controversy is what would somebody fight for? What would somebody yeah. go in? Go to war for? Yeah. What are they going to oh, take? Oh, did you say go to war for? for? Well, I was saying yeah. go to battle for. Yeah. So I say, who heroes go to war with you for your mission? And like you go to Simon Sinek. Like people don't buy what you do; they buy why you do it. But I've got a really great friend called Dunn, who's worked with Simon and a number of amazing, uh, and Seth Godin, I think, as well. But his whole thing is, people don't care what you do; they care what you believe in. So yeah. this is like the stand for and stand against, right? Who, what's the common to... enemy? What's the, what's the, what are you willing to like, literally I'm picking up the fucking sword and let's go at this together. <laughs> right. So for me, that's about having a mission statement that someone would want to get behind. It's not mm -hmm. just like, we create great experiences for our customers because who fucking care? Nobody wants to get behind that. For and us, who wants to work for a company that doesn't? Why is that? Right. That's like that should be just like, like who would be like we create bad experiences for our customers? Yeah. yeah, we we believe in creating cookies that are average. Like yeah. your cookies have to do something. Like your cookies are gonna <laughs> have to do something. They can't just so that is I think one of the hardest things. Um, we share a coach that we both work with. I've spent hours with him on this step and he can't do it. It's like- I can't get it. It's outside I, of his DNA. Like literally- I keep saying to everyone in there, nobody, why doesn't everyone in that group, like there's 500 of us. Where's your purpose statement? Where's your mission? Where's yeah. your virtues? What now? Listen, I'm like, what do you mean is, what now? This is his biggest controversy. Don't create controversy. His most controversial statement that I could come up with is no matter what you do, never create controversy. Now I'm like polarized as fuck, man. I, I used to teach personal branding. But do you like, see how that's controversial? Yeah. That's the most like- the bait and switch. That's the bait and switch. <laughs> right. So the most controversy I could come up with, because a lot of people are so focused on being liked by everyone it's mm -hmm. this is um this take this takes a lot of emotional work to be like this is what we stand for i went um i went on uh september 11th i, I identify politically as uh, quite a leftist and progressive which 
If you read my book, you will see. And <laughs> I went, I also identify as somebody who enjoys barbecue, particularly mm-hmm. pulled pork. Oh. And I went to language? a very famous American, new American barbecue restaurant on September 11th. And this barbecue restaurant, I would not go any other day of the year. It's supposed to be very good barbecue. It's called Mission Barbecue. I'm not against, I don't, whatever. Anyway, Mission Barbecue provides jobs for people returning from the military, people leaving the military, which I think is a yeah. cool mission. Now, it's very pro military, like mm-hmm. pro war, pro guns. There's pictures of guys mm-hmm. and guns. Like, I don't want to take my kids there. I don't yep. want to go look at pictures of show. There's like, there's a wall of heroes and it's all dead guys who were killed fighting for things I don't believe in. Believe in. Like, yep. It's not my place, but I really like barbecue. And so I was like, I'm going to go on 9-11. Like I can get behind this. That's the day I'm going to go to Vision Barbecue. Yeah. Why did I go there? Because I know their mission. They've got it in the name. I know their mission. I know who they are. That's actually not my place. I wouldn't work there. I'd be bummed if my kid wanted to work there, although he might. But I could totally see why somebody would be like, help the military get job. Like this is like, they only pay half of what the competitors pay. Sure, I'll work there. And know every day I'm helping people in the U.S. military make our country, I don't know, whatever the military <laughs> Whatever does. the hell it is now. Free? I don't know. Anyway, I'm super, if you're listening and you love the American military, go to Mission Barbecue. Barbecue. They're your <laughs> yeah. people. So like that to me is like, it's so, you can sort so quickly. Like, yes, I want to mm-hmm. work there. No, I don't. Even Starbucks, especially at the beginning, and this is most important at the yeah. beginning, but let's start like fair trade coffee and Seattle hippies and like whatever. Recognize people by their name. Right, exactly. It's like, yeah, I don't know. That's very bougie. Like that's not, yeah. I just want a cup of coffee for $2. A Why do they charge so much? <laughs> or like those are my people. Like it smells so good. It looks so beautiful. There there is, there's there's Starbucks people and there's non-Starbucks people. (laughs) Right. And that's what you want to do. So anyway, so that's step one. Step two is the O. Um, And so I like what your, I like your networking thing. I didn't get there yet, but I'm going to get there. (laughs) Step two is operate in the future. So I use org charts a little differently, I think, than most people. And I don't build org charts for the present. I build org charts for the future. Me too. Yeah, Alliance Blueprints. So the Alliance Blueprint is about reverse engineering where you want to be. So we work on either, depending on the goals of the business, like a two-year obsession or a five-year obsession. They may have a 10-year, but then we reverse engineer who are the humans that we're going to need, like, who do we need to be able to fulfill this big mission? Like what, what are the genius types we need? What, what tasks do we need? And we do a task audit and group it by energy types and profile types to do that. Same. Yeah, you're my people. Oh my God. <laughs> See, it's so exciting. 
So yeah, if you need somebody right now, it's too late. Too fucking late. <laughs> yeah, you should. People know don't a get year this. They don't get hired. it. They don't get it. I can't find anyone, and I'm bleeding. Like the arm is burning. Terrible time to hire. Do not. Yeah. I mean, like if the arm is bleeding, do it your fucking self. Get a tourniquet yeah. and do it yourself. Yeah. Hiring right now is going to make your arm bleed twice as much. Uh huh. And they you just don't understand, like, but we're way awesome. before the arm is bleeding. We're awesome. If we just put an ad up on an active job board no, and it's like sick. all of our demands and how, like all about us, like people are just going to be dying to work for us. Hard no. Hard no. It's going to make so much more work. So much more work. I, we have a job that's coming up in about six months and I had somebody like a personal assistant helping me. I just moved. And I had a personal assistant helping me with the move. And I was talking to her about her future. She's young. And I was talking to her about her future and she's taking a class, but she didn't know if she liked it and if she was going to finish. And I was like, hmm, she could be a person for this role that we're going to have in six months. Mm -hmm. And so I set her up on a date with some people on the team. And then I came up with a totally fake made up project. <laughs> and I was like, in addition to moving me into my house, we have this urgent need for this critical project that was 0% important. Um, <laughs> will you come do this project for us? So I like, met with my team and I'm like, we're going to bring this girl in to do this project and let's see if we like her. Let's see how she feels. It's like part-time. She doesn't need any money right now. She's in school. She's helping me move. It's just like a little 10 hour project. It was a total fucking unmitigated disaster. <laughs> Everybody hated everyone. Now she was amazing at helping me move. I'm moving. <laughs> yeah. And that was great. We paid her for the project happily, well worth the money, mm -hmm. never talked about the real job. No, my team doesn't even know I considered no. her for the job. Like, that's not the girl. Beautiful. I didn't even write the job description. Like, uh -huh. I know this is coming down the pike. And I was like, maybe this is my girl. Nope. Nope. So I know my org chart three years in advance. Yeah. And so when I talked about the fact that I know people are quitting their jobs, I, I don't just know people. I know their fucking names. Yeah. Like I have people, I had a CMO job that came up maybe a year ago. And the guy on that list, I'd been stalking for three years. I knew when mm -hmm. his wife got pregnant and I was like, all right, his wife's pregnant. He's going to be looking for a new job right around then. My current CMO told me his win-win is this. He wants to stay in this job until his kids go to college. His kids go to college in two years. He's going to be looking for a job. Like it's, you've got to be, but but you need to be this strategic. If you want to build a team, like it's fine. If you want to have like a hundred grand business, 200 grand business, you want a lifestyle business, um, fine. 
But if you want something that is going to be transformational, if it's going to make you millions, if it's going to make a dent, if you're going to have an impact, you need this level of strategy. Just like this is like having your people, I go back to uh, sports analogies, people on the bench for you, your understudies. Like you need to have, they need to be looking at the understudies. A hundred percent. People on the bench, understudies. I love it. We're figuring yeah. it out. Yeah. So if you don't do that, then when the need comes, like what if, what if you're, you're running a cast and your lead breaks, they're, they're, they're the ballerina, they break their ankle. And then your, your understudy that is already on cast steps up and they just got pregnant. Right. Oh shit. And then, now what do you got? and now what do you got? Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Right. And I um, do that with my clients. My clients come in and I'll see something like I have this, I have this client. She's now a former client. She's a pharmacist, but she's really smart and she's really young. Most of my authors tend to be in their forties or fifties. She's in her twenties, just got married. Uh, I, I don't know, but I'm guessing she'll want to have kids. Mm. And I'm like, I bet she's not going to want her own coaching business. And I think she would be an amazing coach on our team. So I have her, like I spotted her and I'm like, yeah. we don't, we're not hiring coaches right now, but we will be again. And yeah. so I've got, I've always got a running list. Like there was a woman who signed up to work with us. She did work with us. She did my front end, my back end. And on her application, it said she did um, sales to hospitals, like high ticket sales to of educational programs to hospitals. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, I closed this sale and then she's going to be my salesperson. She started Monday. I think she signed up to work with us in February, but literally the yeah. day I closed the sale, I was like, I'm gonna hire her pretty soon. Yeah. Like, and so she's my client, but the whole time I'm like, do I like her? Do I like her? Do I like yeah. her? Does she come to the call? Is she, Does she a culture fit? Is she, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then I was like, tell me more about your sales job. Uh, yeah. Do you like do you really it? Like it? <laughs> and on one of her homework assignments, she was like, I really got to get out of this job. I was like, mm-hmm. Ringy dingy. Mm-hmm. Like, one ringy dingy, two ringy dingies. <laughs> But this is like for entrepreneurs, if they go back, you think about your network is your net worth, right? But they think about that in terms of like mentors, partners, JVs, dude, your cast, your team, that's the network you need that's going to make your net worth. They're the ones boots on the ground doing the shit for you. So you don't have to. 100%. So that's step two. You got to, you got to live your org chart in the future. You mm-hmm. can't be just looking at who do I need right now? Yeah. Uh, step number three is um, marketing to your perspective, uh, perspective employees. So most people think their employees should be begging to work for them. You got to get your employees to beg to work for you. So you got to use everything you know about marketing and you have to use what you know about marketing. So if you know how to build a marketing funnel, if you know how to get leads, if you know how to deliver webinars, if you know how to write brochures, however you get clients, that's how you should get employees. 
So and we this, see this is again why you're my people because I talk about customer avataring, like so creating the ideal avatar of your candidate. But you talk about like is like what is their main problem and are you able to solve it? Yeah. Totally. Yeah, it's exactly the way you find a client because you have to love them as much as you love a client. So part of how you love your clients is that you know them. You've taken the time to identify what's their problem, what's their dream come true, what's their, you know, how do they state their issues and all of that work. Um, that effort that goes into that is what you need to do the same exact way for your um for your employees and yeah i think there's a resentment i think there's a lot of resentment that we have to do that like but we're paying them and they're <laughs> paying us with time yeah 100 they're paying us with time the, this, but the thing is, this is where we satisfy those human needs. This is how we get the best out of people. We know what their problem is outside of work or even their aspirational problem, the same thing we do with a customer avatar. If we can help satisfy that and we can help provide a solution, then it's just going to pay dividends for us. But taking that back a step is the market to your perspective. Same as a lead funnel, like a value cycle. How are you going to get them as a follower? How are you going to turn them into your community? How do you move them from community to prospect? How do you turn them from prospect to candidate? Candidate to employee. Exactly. So instead of, instead of followers, community, prospect, or lead, customer, raving loyal fan, you've got follower, community, prospect, candidate, team member, raving loyal fan. And you talk yep. about like the release we love. Like how do you make them your biggest advocate to bring more of the best people? Mm -hmm. And where do you, where do they hang out? How do you be where they are? How do you like great talent isn't on the active job board? You need a marketing. Oh, no, exactly. So That's squirrel, the worst place to look. Squirrel question for you. I mean, to, meant to ask this: Was this an employer branding play? Was writing this book part of your talent pooling process? Yes, a hundred percent. But there's a tiny bit more to it, which is um, it was more an, an employee management place. So I have these philosophies, but I did that thing my dad told me on that surfing trip <laughs> of getting middle management and my middle management did not share my philosophies. Oh. And I was so surprised because it was what I had done with them. Mm -hmm. And then but they, they didn't know it. No. And they started hiring teams and the way they were managing their teams was terrible. They were managing their teams all the ways that I was against. So I wrote the book right before we uh -huh. did a team retreat. Yep where I was like, here's how we manage and here's who we are. So that comes with a course, which is our new employee orientation. And then it has all of our management tools. So if you go into management at our company, 
that you have to go through that course and then all of the management tools so that we're awesome. on the same page with Genius. how we do KPIs, which we call our baby's die list. Um, mm -hmm. So how we manage our teams, how we like manage projects. There's like a follow-up sequence. But very interestingly, I get quite a bit of resistance. Really? From my team. They do not agree. Mm -hmm. is that just old school program is that the is that the bullshit rules of society like shouldn't all over them so i think it's just like the same reason why you probably get resistance from new clients or prospects mm -hmm. like um i think people just don't really it's not what they see like if they're, if I have somebody, a new manager, like I have a new manager now, she got like three people under her. She doesn't know what to do. So she goes out and buys a management book and oh, it God. says the opposite of what yeah. I'm saying, yeah. but she didn't buy my book. Like, even though I put her through my program, it's like, it's just one book. She's, there's no mastermind. I mean, the oh, mastermind no, no. Is See, the problem is, and this is like my clients are doing, you say, uh, he rang me. He's like, I'm so stoked. Those one-on-ones you just did. He goes, I have been banging onto the two leaders about what their time's worth to the business and why they shouldn't be running errands and like what their hourly rate is and what, who they should be paying. And like, why are you guys driving eight hours as the top paid in the company when we could send an apprentice for 17 bucks an hour and they just didn't get it. And I made yes. them work it out. And I'm like, you are costing the business I, from my calculations in pure profit, right? When pure profit, we went, went through the profit line, like uh -huh. two and a half thousand dollars an hour, every hour you're driving to a fucking thing to pick up a block, right? I've had and, that exact conversation. And they came back to him. I was like, oh my God, Jade made us realize we were stealing from the company. And he's I, like- I use those exact words, totally. Oh my God. He's like, I have said this to them so long. I said, but we know- that you can hire an actor, same as with kids, husbands, anything, right? You could hire an outsider to say exactly the fucking same thing that you say, but they don't gonna hear it, like because it's too close to home. You just put my name, just write out your name, put my name on it, give them the book. They don't know who the fuck I am, but because it's someone outside with an authority, because they got a book on a shelf that's not you, gospel. Yep. Yeah. What you need is an alias. A hundred percent. 100%. Sales teams, like you can literally hire an actor to come in and, and teach a sales team a script that you've been telling them for two fucking years. Yep. And they were like, it's, it's like someone's just brought God in. This is brilliant. I'm like, yeah, but what yeah, I yeah, I've been saying, <laughs> what I teach is so different. It's funny. Um, I'm super grateful for Alex Hormozzi's new book, hundred million dollar offers because what he teaches about marketing is so similar to what I teach. I mean, in some cases, word for word, and I gave it to my team oh, and I, yeah. I was like required reading and they're like, holy shit, this is brilliant. I'm like, well, do you know how many, do you know how many of my clients have bought your book? Really? I'm like, well, I'm like get the book. word for get word book. what I teach, but okay. Glad you yeah. like it. I bang on about it, but I'm like, no, no, read her book. Right. Yeah. One and of the black belts like, is like, one of the black belts is like, oh my God, did you read Angela's book? And I'm like, I told you to read the book. Like, <laughs> it's so yeah. fascinating. Isn't it it's, great? 
It's so fascinating. So yeah, that is really, I do in recruiting, I do suggest people read it. And then in the interview, in the last interview, I say what stood out most in my book and I can tell if they actually did oh. read it. Yeah, the scramble, the scramble. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it's really interesting. You know what most people talk about that did read it in the interview is um, it's employee mindset. I just encourage everybody that manages a team to really, those customer avatars are so important and learning. Put yourself in the space. shoes. Yeah. They always ask about my last step, which we'll just quickly run through the rest of the steps, but mm -hmm. the last step is yield with love. Mm -hmm. And um, that is how I recommend firing people and or letting people go. And that's the one they always want to ask about. But really, employees think a lot about Straight getting fired. Yeah. And as an, as an entrepreneur, you're like, whatever, fire me. I'll do something else. I don't even yeah. know what fire me means. Like, what I'll just get, I'll get myself fired. <laughs> you know how many jobs there are, right? Like, yeah. and even if you're an employee that, if you're an entrepreneur that was an employee, you were probably never worried about getting fired. Like, I yeah. know I got fired a lot. Cause I was just like, I would, whatever I would just my ideas were better anyway like yeah. I, I would just go do the next thing so but actual employees whose number one value is security yeah they think a lot about getting fired yeah like more than you might imagine even yeah. if you think it would be good for them to get fired <laughs> like it really, you're like, this will significantly, I write about Amanda in my book who I saw yeah. recently and I really should have fired Amanda and Amanda ended up, God fired her for me. She had a serious medical incident mm. that fired her and I saw her and she has her dream job. She's happier than ever. Her entire personality shifted. She spent a year in the hospital and almost died. And she would have wasted 25 years in the wrong job because she was so worried about getting fired. Yeah. And I just liked her so much. I didn't want to fire her. Yeah. Didn't want to bruise her ego. Or I, right. I, I had another person come running across the place and hug me. Someone I fired. Um, I think it was about, oh, must've been about eight years before. And I was like, you don't want a Lebanese man running across the casino at four o'clock in the morning, screaming mm -hmm. your name and that you know that you're fired. Um, and you fired him because among other things, but he was cold calling gynecologists with a medical candidate and he was telling them how well they sold to vaginecologists. Yeah. I was like, uh, uh, but he said it was the best thing that ever happened to him because he'd had his own business for five years after yeah. that in recruitment and he was really good at it and he started doing all the things that I used to kick his ass on every day <laughs> and so he was like I hated it at the time but like it was just the best thing ever I was like cool yeah yeah <laughs> uh, so anyway, um, let me run you through the rest of these. 
which I did break down and look up, but step four is uh, about how to pick the winners um, when you are hiring. And we have a hiring process and uh, that includes- Number one step, number one step, have a hiring process, not an unconscious bias. (laughs) Yeah, you, this was the thing when- I was originally hiring. I thought it was a weird coincidence that every single person I hired looked just like me. And then I noticed there was like a guy who I was friends with from a mastermind and everyone who, oh no, it wasn't, it wasn't a guy that I was friends with. Oh my God, that's so funny. It was Tony Robbins, who I'm not friends with. (laughs) Um, But Tony Robbins- did a, not my friend, did a webinar and he had a bunch of his team on there. It was, it was, uh, it wasn't even a webinar. It was the movie. I am not your guru. Oh yeah. And his whole team was on there and they all looked like him. I was like watching that movie and I'm like, wait, all my (gasps) team members look like me. And I had, I had a client ask me look like him. That probably means we're all just hiring things we like, and we're all probably narcissists on some level, some of us more than others, I won't name names. So I probably need to build some sort of system so I don't just end up hiring people that fit my own internal biases. I got accused of building an Aryan race. Oh. Because... I didn't realize it, but I had a whole team of blonde females with blue eyes. Right. And, right. But in my defense, I was like, no, but she That's had red hair when I hired her. And she had brown hair when I hired her. Look, go back and look at the photos. Right. But now that, but now, whoa. Um, and it was, I thought it was completely, I'm a recruiter. Like, how did this happen? Um, but safety and security, right? But also, they had, especially some of the young ones, had started to model me. They're like, success looks like this. And they'd like dyed their hair. And like, oh no. Right. <laughs> uh, and right. like, yes, we instantly need to hire a uh, dark haired male stat. No. <laughs> uh, the next step is about compensation. Most people get this wrong. They think more compensation gets you a better employee sometimes. But uh, this step but is maybe for the wrong reason. Yeah. The wrong so this yeah. step is align the compensation. So it really has to, you have to identify the win-win and make sure the compensation is aligned to meet the goals. Step six is about, it's nurture the talent. It's the N in company. This is the one people really love. So uh, now I'm going to hurt you even more, dear listener. I always say plan for the person you hire to only suck your time and energy to be a negative drain on the company for the first 90 days. Yep. And then the next 90 days, if you're lucky, it will be neutral. So you need 60 days of literally nothing you're getting nothing back from this employee it's it's more net more work for the first six months 
you will net more work, but if you do it right, and in the first six months you net more work, you will have five years of being out of the way. But most people want that short-term payoff. They want to like- that instant gratification. Give me the instant gratification. Where am I candy? Right. And not only that, after six months, when you've done more work, some percentage of the time, my numbers are 20% of the time. You might want to count on 50% of the time. It's still not going to work out and the person's going to leave. Yeah. And that, my friends, is called the cost of doing business. So this fantasy you have about 100% of employees work out and they work out within the first seven days and they drink from a garden hose and they write it down in their notebook and then they go back and check the notebook and remember how to do everything you taught them perfectly. This is not reality. I wish it was. I shared your fantasy. It's not, in my experience, how it actually works, sadly. 100%. Um, And then the last step is the one we talked about, which is yield with love. And yield with love, um, I just want to talk about um, the masculine is, um, is higher, slow, fire, fast. Mm. I disagree with this. It's not that that's not right. I see the philosophy where that comes from. What I think is once you find someone, you really don't know how they're going to work until you get them in the job. You really don't. So I think higher fast, but with reasonable expectations. So for instance, with that woman I just told you who helped me move, my expectation was I got a 10 hour project. Here's 300 bucks. Will you do this project? And that gave me the info. I hired her super fast Mm -hmm. and I got all the information I needed. Sometimes I need more time. We actually, one project we're in the middle of right now was more like $5,000. So sometimes it's more. So I'm not saying hire them and make a 10 year commitment. Yeah. This is why I love the tools of Judy. That's why I love tools of Judy. Expectations on both parties that this is like a, or Nikki Smith that you'll see from Black Belt as well, like mini experiments. Let's just test it out. For both sides of the party. Just get in, stop fucking talking about it. Don't hire slow. Hire slow is not helpful. Hire That's why I fired Google. That is why I fired Google. Because they still had the three months you could not get through. Larry Page was still signing off on every fucking hire that we were working on, right? But they would put us through multiple interviews and then tell us that they didn't go to a school that had a sandstone fence. So therefore, like this was way like back then, right? And I'm like, Tell us the schools, so it, or why didn't you look at this before we had two interviews? Like, what the hell, right? Or back then, as soon as we got someone into interview process with Google and the candidates started telling people they had an interview with Google, Facebook was on the doorstep or Accenture right. was on their doorstep. Right. Right? And then, then they're gone. So even Google, right. like, they were just using having an interview at Google to get something cool. Right. So, um, so yeah. So when I say hire fast, I mean, hire for, get them in there, get them, do it. Stop talking about something, get them in there doing something. Well, it's the only way you're you're really going to know. 
you're going to learn more from them doing something than from talking about it in theory. And then when I say fire slow, what I mean by that is, what are they good at? Because you just met a person. You went through the hassle of meeting the person. So I talked earlier about my nanny. Nanny, really good at taking care of the kids, really good at driving, really good at cooking, really not good at doing the dishes. Are we going to fire this? Are we like, well, that's it. We'll just find someone else who's great. Well, she's not doing what I tell her to do. She's not doing. Yeah. Like that's ridiculous. She's good at all those things. Now, could you change the compensation? Maybe. Could you change her hours? Maybe. Could you add another person and figure out how you're going to pay for it? Like you've got to find the win-win. And if your budget's really tight, if your budget's not really tight, just pay someone to come do the fucking dishes. But if your budget's really tight, you sit down with the nanny and you say, my budget's super tight. I didn't put any room in here to pay you more. Let me show you my budget. I got to include the dishes getting done. Here's why it can't be me. What should we do? I get that it can't be you. You're not loving it. The kids are two and four, so it's probably not them. Probably not for them. There's yes. no more money. So how do we do it? Because I don't want to like fire you and hire a whole new person. Yeah. But we got to make this happen. Can you help me brainstorm ideas? Let's come up with 25 crazy ideas. And if you bring them into the solution, maybe the dishes get done that way. Maybe there's a college kid. Maybe they're oh, like, I'll do half days on Fridays. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's, there's something Gumption. you may not know. Yeah. It's not the master slave dialectic. It's a partnership. And so yield with love, be open to the fact that there is a creative solution out there you might call it a miracle that is waiting to be found. There is some alternative that is a possibility and uh, we don't have to jump to firing people. I had somebody who was amazing at running my events. Amazing. He hated it. It gave him panic attacks. And uh, I was we, an amazing operations manager. It made me start throwing up blood. Yeah, not, not ideal. Not, not ideal. So you want to create a work environment where if somebody's throwing up blood or having panic attacks, they can come to you and say, I'm going to end up quitting because I'm throwing up blood or I'm having panic attacks. Like, I know it's going to end up happening. Can we find a win-win? And we moved him into running our online classroom, which by the way, he wasn't as good at but he didn't have panic attacks. So kind of that part's kind of good. Like, but now you can decide, is he not good at it enough that it's not a win-win or is it still enough of a win-win? And if it's not a win-win, you go back and say like, Hey, this is a win for you now, but it's not a win for us. Can we try a different role? If you've already developed a relationship with this human being, Try and find a way that it works. If there's no win-win, yeah. yield. yield. Yield with love and be like, we tried. We looked for a thing. We got to find a thing that works for you and works for us. We can't find a thing. 
Mary meet, Mary part, Mary meet again. We cannot have a 57 year old playing Maria. Like Maria is going to have to be 15, like in our West Side Story show. Like we can't cast you in the show. We do not have a role for you, but we can at least try. And that's why I'm like, hire fast, fire slow. Don't believe the motherfuckers who tell you otherwise. Yeah. And I think it's just too quick to uh, react and not look at where we're at cause as well. Because most of the time, the people that are getting fired haven't succeeded, but we haven't actually set them up for success. We haven't given them the painted picture of success. We haven't given them the training manuals. We, and you will be the exception with everything you do, but most business owners, because they wanted that unicorn to be up and running in seven days. And me too, I get it. (laughs) Right? So you've got to look at where you're at cause and hiring, firing and hiring again, you're going to end up with the same problem. And this is why we get the problem like, oh, everyone's shit. No one does it as good as me. No, they don't. A, because it's your business, but B, because you haven't, set them up to do it the way you want them to do it. You haven't coached them. You haven't taught them. You're not giving them feedback. You're mm-hmm. not giving them the roadmap. They don't know what, they don't know what success looks like. Mm-hmm. So you're, uh, there's a book that's called, um, what's it called? It's, I think it's called, it's, it's your fault or something like that. It, I would agree already. Yeah. It probably is sure your fault. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's, or the problem is you. Maybe one of those, but the sentiment is like, often you just need to go back and look at where you were at cause. Maybe you hired the wrong person, didn't ask the right questions, didn't paint the picture of success, didn't coach them. Like the, the times that it's actually the talent's fault is very slim because you either hired the wrong person, got sold, you sold them or they sold you, or there's something that's gone wrong in, in the process. Unless you've had an incident where something's happened in their personal life, something's changed then it's root cause is probably something you messed up in the first place. (laughs) Yep. Yep, exactly. So those are the seven steps to building an all-star cast or sporting team or business team, all-star players, as I like to call them, pick your metaphor. Um, and the thing that I want to say before we end and jump on to our next thing, speaking of all-star players, I got to go get my football player picking my 16, almost 16 year old up from football (laughs) practice. But, um, but like the thing for me is entrepreneurship is about making money, which is great. And it's about serving a need in the market, which is super fulfilling. But at the end of the day, it's really about personal growth. And there is nowhere that I have found that you get more personal growth than building a team and creating a corporate culture. There's nowhere you have to dig deeper inside yourself about what's important to you And there's nowhere that you have to work harder to deserve the trust of people. With a client, you might spend a day with them. You might spend an hour a week with them. But the way you work intimately over days, weeks, months, years, even decades with a team 
to earn and maintain their trust has taught me more about integrity, Mm. about my real truths. I don't mean about being honest or about transparency and bullshit corporate speak. I mean, like, what do I actually care about? What is my truth? Why am I fucking doing this? And you'll hear, you know, whatever, Cameron Harold talk about vivid vision. Like you'll talk about all these, like the EOS dudes talk about whatever, even Simon talking mm-hmm. about what is your why? Like, I, like sh- I've read all that stuff, like sure. But there's no external exercise that you can do that will make up for the internal work that your employees mm-hmm. will feel every day. Oh. That's what the real work is. So you can write this external, I've seen these vivid visions. They're like 30 fucking pages with pictures. <laughs> no one's gonna fucking buy. Go hire someone, pay them. You can get an A plus from your English teacher. Your employees will know every day. I call them words on a wall. People just say through that shit. It's just words on a wall. It's words on a fucking wall. It's like forced fun. Yeah. And never make someone go to a fucking happy hour. No (laughs) one wants to dress up. No one wants to go to a happy hour. Like you can't force fun. You can't shove a bit. Now, if you have a vivid vision, which I believe Cameron Harold did when he invented that, and it comes through your fucking pores, people feel it. And that is required. But if you make a beautiful 30 page document. Yeah. The, the whole thing for me on that is it's the integrity is instantly lost when you're not living it. Like you can have your beautifully written words on a wall that sound great for marketing. You're going to use it for your clients. But if you're not fucking walking it as the owner every single day, might as well just throw it in the bin. Yep. And by the way, you will, no one will even know where it's saved on the hard drive. No. Look at it one day and it'll be gone. You have to do the work. Yeah. You've got to do the same as everything, right? Right. And that's the journey. That's the personal growth journey of entrepreneurship. Yeah. But this is where, like, if you look at the hierarchy, when you, when you actually raise to self-expression and that embodiment, that is where, that is the, the pinnacle. When you can show up authentically like that as a true leader and that you have managed to breathe life into a team that is on the same mission, the stand for is the stand against and that it is something bigger than you. That is that self-mastery. That is that real expression of, of life. And you don't get it. You're not done. There's not like a day. You can't check a box. You can't read a book. It's, it's a pro you don't finish it. No, it's like finishing surfing. Oh, I learned surfing done. All the waves are now the same. All the surfboards are the same. Done. You have to live into it every day. Single day. Yeah. And you've got so, to, you've got to embrace it. Yeah. I love it. That's, that's the mic my drop. lesson. That's your mic drop. That's my uh, mic drop. So let's just quickly wrap with where people can learn about you. And most importantly, like I, we, we touched a little bit, like this could have been an employer brand book to be able to use for recruitment. And so books can be super powerful for building your talent pool. Um, but just just quickly tell people where they can find you and anything they can reach out to you for. 
Yeah, the authorincubator.com. It's a trick URL. It includes the word the, T-H-E. Um, your brain will make the word the go away because it's an article, but you'll want to type it in there. So three words. The first word is the, and then the next two words are author and incubator. The authorincubator.com. Uh, it'll be on screen somewhere. There, <laughs> what? We'll oh, put it yeah, on screen somewhere. somewhere. There'll be a link. <laughs> Um, so if you go to theauthorincubator.com, there's a master class up there at theauthorincubator.com slash master class. If you want to take a free class with me and learn how to use a book to get more leads, to grow your business, and to really get your story and your why out there, which yes, will attract clients, but you're right. It's also going to attract a team around a mission. So that's what we do at the Author Incubator is we incubate authors. So, and we have a kick-ass team to help you do it. You sure do have a kick-ass team. <laughs> Amazing. Well, guys, as you heard, check out the Author Incubator. Uh, see if any of that stuff resonates with you. If you're looking to build a kick-ass team, make sure you reach out to me and we will help you do that. But most importantly, if you heard anything in today's episode that you think, if you're a team, team player that thinks your boss should hear it, or you know someone that's running the business, make sure you tag them in the comments below and share this episode with them. There'll be show notes with timestamps. You can direct them expressly to where you want them to go to. They don't have to watch the whole show. Just direct them where you want them to go and they will get the gold and everyone will shine from there. Nice. Nice. Thanks, guys. Thanks for tuning in to the Barrels and Business podcast. If you are ready to build your kick-ass team, you're looking to scale your business, or you just want ways that you can get wet more often, make sure you head on over and connect with us at barrelsandbusiness.com. Actually, while you're at it, why don't you just hit subscribe wherever you are watching and listening to the podcast right now. I'll see you guys on the next episode.